All right, so that's the first one. I'm sure you all have dealt with your child sitting at the dinner table and texting or everything you're doing. You're being interrupted by your child on their devices. This second one's a little more, a little more serious. This is a TED's video. It's by Sherry Turkle. She's a professor at MIT. And uh, she talks about how, uh, with the, the advancement of technology, how it has kind of created a new way of being, a new way of living. She talks about multi-lifing rather than multitasking. When you take our phones away from us, we become anxious. We become impossible, really. Modern technology has become like a phantom limb. It is so much a part of us. So what is the arc of the story that I want to tell? Only 15 years ago, looking at the early internet, I felt an incredible sense of optimism. I saw a place for identity experimentation. I called it an identity workshop for trying out aspects of self that were hard to experiment with in the physical real. And all of this happens, and all of this is still wondrous. But what I didn't see coming, and I like to tell my students, call me not prescient. What I didn't see coming, and what we have now, is that mobile connectivity, that world of devices, always on and always on us, would mean that we would be able to basically bail out of the physical real at any time to go to all of the other places and spaces that we have available to us and that we would want to. One man I interviewed who plays with his kids in the park while he talks to his virtual mistress on iPhone, calls it the life mix. So I guess you could say that what I'm talking about are the perils of going from multitasking to multi-lifing, the perils of the life mix. Technology proposes itself as the architect of our intimacies. And these days, there is no coyness about his aspiration to substitute life on the screen for the other kind. Technology is seductive when its affordances meet our human vulnerabilities. And it turns out we are very vulnerable indeed. We are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Connectivity offers for many of us the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. We can't get enough of each other if, if we can have each other 
at a distance in amounts that we can control. Think of Goldilocks, not too close, not too far, just right. Connection made to measure, that's the new promise. The ability to hide from each other even as we are continually connected to each other. To put it too simply, we would rather text than talk. Online connections bring so many bounty. And will you turn off will you turn off the sound system inside there? Thanks so much. Okay, so you know, just a couple of videos to kind of set the stage and create some fodder for conversation. I do want this to be really interactive. I will say this is such a huge issue and there's so much fear and anxiety. Um, <laughs> like, um, I do too also want to get through the stuff on here. So I think, um, so, we'll have, yeah, we'll have a balance of, of interaction and, and material. But uh, I want to start out with a couple of kind of, couple of statements or a couple of lenses to think about this issue through. Um, the the first um, first thing I want to say is you have to understand in terms of historical context uh, where where you are because you are the first generation of parents to ever have to deal with this issue. This will be an issue as far as dealing with technology, social media, um, you know, handheld devices that you'll have to. Hey Mary, would you do me a favor? Would you go next door and tell them to turn off the music? Sure. If you if you feel cool with that, thank you. Um, uh, yeah, people will be dealing with this for 500 years. Like this is the this is the new way, right? There's never been a generation of parents who's had to deal with this. So you are you're pioneers. So if you're utterly confused on how to deal with it, you can have a lot of mercy on yourself because you have no precedence before you, right? Um, a second thing I would say is we cannot simply address behavior. Um, if if you're not addressing the heart level issue, then you're you're not going to have any success in like guiding your child through this. Uh, you can't just play defense anymore. Uh, you know, it used to be like, hey, let's just homeschool. You know, let's just go, let's homeschool. Let's go to a Christian college, and we'll just avoid the world. And that's not a that's not. I'm not saying that to criticize anyone who does that. Um, but you, the the technology is so pervasive. Your child's access is so it's so everywhere that you can no longer just try to avoid the issue. Um, yeah, absolutely, have boundaries and things like that. But you have to be able to teach your child how to engage the media, how to engage the temptations, how to engage the technology. Um, because uh, if you're just going to try to avoid it, it's impossible. It's totally impossible. Um, so that's another thing. And uh, the last thing I would say too is your child really does need boundaries and guidance. They really do. They, they are not equipped to handle the brave new world um, where they are without, without your help, without you engaging them, uh, without you putting up boundaries for them. And the resistance you're going to get from your child is that, well, everybody, but everybody has Snapchat. Everybody has this. And like, you're a Christian. We don't really care what everyone's doing. You know, Christianity is by its nature countercultural. We cut against the grain. And so you are not a, well, no one is a slave. If you're in Christ, you're not a slave to cultural expectation. And so we just, we do not care what the world is doing. Just understand that. And, and you can communicate that to your child. And, um, yeah. So anyhow, I might have kind of felt passionate on that. So here's, here's where we're going to go. We're going to, um, talk about, uh, observations that we as youth ministers have of your, um, of your child's behavior. Um, 
uh, not your child's behavior, but if like what we're seeing amongst teenagers. And then we're going to talk about kind of the bad lessons we see taught by social media. And then uh, really what we want to get to is the heart of the matter. Like what, what, what do we see is the heart desire of kids? What are they seeking in this utterly seductive, utterly addictive um, you know, world of social media? What do they really want? Because that's really where we're going to address the problem is their heart level need. And so, um, and so then finally we'll, t- we'll look at how John 1 speaks to this. And finally we'll have some practical applications. Um, so... Sarah, and Sarah, I'm gonna, Sarah, so if you're a youth minister, you have to be a really good student of context. Uh, you have to be observing kids because sociologically, the group of kids that you are dealing with will completely change over the course of five years. So with our youth ministry, two years ago, we just had a total disconnect. Our numbers just collapsed. And we came to find that the kids we were ministering to at this point, are very different than the kids I had when I first came here nine years ago. Uh, kids, when I first came here, there's this, there's a pretty pretty significant sociological um, difference. Uh, kids in previous generations would identify themselves in terms of competence. I'm a student. I'm a musician. I'm a cheerleader. I'm a football player. Kids of this generation identify themselves in terms of connection, in terms of relationship. And so, um, so with that being said, our youth ministry had to shift where so much of our attention is focused on creating community and fellowship because if kids do not feel connected, then they will not have anything to do with whatever you're offering them. And so just to say that, so with that being said, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, good gravy, meanwhile, six years ago, Sarah and I, um, Sarah and I are constantly observing the kids because it's such a dynamic uh, demographic that you're trying to minister to that's changing all the time. And so we just want to kind of tell you some of the things we see. If you would do us this favor, please don't go home and tell your kids. You know, Cameron and Sarah said this. They said that everyone's doing this. Is that true? We just don't want the kids to feel like they're spying on us, that we are spying on them. And now granted, this is going to be on the internet. Not they're going to listen to it. But yeah, if you would just say, like, this is what people are seeing instead of pinpointing Sarah Siebel's and Cameron Cole. That would be helpful for us from a trust standpoint. But um, first off, we see kids using technology in an, an addictive fashion. Uh, they cannot put it down. I was giving a talk, a pretty intimate talk, a few weeks ago, and we we're at like a very kind of precious, broken part of the story. And like there are girls taking pictures of each other in the middle of the talk. And uh, we have we have problems with kids and. and Sorry, I'm not going to say that. Uh, with kids doing that in Bible study, like during prayer, texting. Um, and, and I kind of I gave the girls the stink eye. I looked right at them, and I was, t- I was you know, telling my, my story and looking right at them. And they saw me, and they went. And within two minutes, they were back at it again. Like two minutes. So we see a lot of compulsive behavior. Um, we see kids can't put, put their phones away, and they struggle to abide by the rules. Um, we, on retreats and mission trips, we take up their phones because we, we just feel like they need to be disconnected from that. They need to be present. And they, um, we've had kids like steal their phones back. Uh, they'll like, get into our stuff to steal their phone back. Um, or they have a tough time abiding by the rules. Um, they get very, very anxious at the idea of not having their phone. We, in Sunday school the other week, we took up all their phones and took it into another room. 
And then we, we told them, we were joking with them, but for the, for the sake of the exercise, we told them that, um, the, that all the parents who had sent their kids to Sunday school that had hired a consultant to go through their phones and look at everything that was on their phone. And, uh, and, and uh, no, we obviously, and, and so we, we pulled the plug after like three minutes, but we used that to be like, okay, what, you know, let's talk about the reasons of why you are so anxious about not having your phone. Like, what's so scary about that? And then like, what's so anxious about someone seeing everything you do on your phone. And, and so they started to list the reasons. And um, they have, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, uh, a lot of the kids at the end of retreats, they'll, they'll say, thank you so much for taking away my phone. Um, now, the minute we give it back to them, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a crack addict. But, um, but uh, I have a student who, he, uh, his grades weren't so hot, and he got his phone taken away from a week. I was, I was getting uh, something to eat with him. I said, How, how's everything going? He says, yeah, things have been, I've had a great week. I'm like, why is that? I'm like, well, I haven't had my phone, and it's been amazing. I, like, I get my homework done. Like, I just am not as anxious. And, um, and so they resist it, but they actually kind of love it. Um, they, um, they feel as if they're missing out if they're without their technology. They have the sense of, like, something is going to happen Things are going on, and they, in a, in a kind of fantasy way, feel like they're connected with it. Uh, they see their friends at this event. They're not there, but they see the picture of it, and they either feel left out or they feel somehow virtually connected. Like, oh yeah, here we are, right? Um, they, they, um, they use their phones to hide from reality. I've had students who would come to youth group with an iPod and put their iPhones in. And I mean, let's be honest. I, I went to a, I went to an engagement party from one of our college interns, and my wife, the babysitter, uh, had to cancel, so my wife couldn't go. So I went by myself, and it was all people in their kind of like fi- early 50s, and then kids in their like early 20s. N- and there really weren't many people in their early 20s. I didn't really know anyone, and I was sitting there at the party. And I'm like, this is really rare. I don't really know anyone here. I don't have anyone to talk to, and I. Um, I don't have a smartphone. I have a, I have like, you know, I got a good deal off the Soviets when the wall came down, and so uh, I still have a, I still have a flip phone, and um, I like pulled out my flip phone and started texting, and it was like, oh, I just didn't want to feel awkward, like no one's talking to me, and I pulled it out and, and started texting on this like totally, you know, embarrassing piece of technology, and uh, and it was such a, I mean, it was it was such a um, insight into like, oh, I get it, you know, I understand why they come to something. And they don't see their best friend, and so they just dive into their phone. So they're hiding from reality in that way. But also, too, I think there are you know kids who will just sit on the computer for hours, either watching movies or playing hours and hours of video games, or just diving into Facebook. By the way, average 21-year-old male, by the time they're 21, has watched 10,000, has played 10,000 hours of video games. That's from age 8 to 21, an average of two hours a day. That is, I mean, that's fantasy land, right? And so there's a lot of escapism. If I'm trying to escape, like the world is hard, people are mean, um, you know, there is disappointment, there is betrayal, there is sickness, there is death, things like that. And so there's a lot of, I just want to hide from reality in technology. Um, they have to take pictures of everything. We're not living, we're just setting up scenes for pictures. Um, Sarah, I'm going to let you just dive in at the end and just kind of go through all this on your observations. Sarah's, Sarah's a lot more savvy on this than I am. 
Um, they monitor the social lives of their peers via Facebook, and they often feel left out. Uh, we were on a mission trip, and we were kind of asking the kids to open up a little bit. And this really shy, sweet boy, he goes, no one would say anything. Everyone was dead silent. He goes, on Friday nights, I'll go on Facebook, and I'll look at the list of people who are online, not on their mobile device, just to see who else is at home so I won't feel like such a loser because I don't have plans. And it was like the floodgates opened of everyone like, oh, I'm always measuring myself. I'm always, you know, I'm always looking at what, you know, what she's wearing or what they're doing or what, you know, so on and so forth, constantly comparing themselves, constantly um, trying to see, you know, what party is going on that I'm not included in, always kind of feeling left out. Um, and then they feel a ton of inadequacy because they're constantly comparing themselves to the internet internet version of people. Because one of the main things we see is personal branding. The kids are trying to create an image, trying to create an identity through their Instagram, through their Facebook, through the things that they tweet. I mean, you know, an example, I had a kid several years ago who was constantly posting things about like hardcore partying and like, you know, at 4.20, he would post a tweet, because that's like when you smoke marijuana, and um, stuff like that. And I'm like, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't do drugs, and he's not much of a partier. I know this. And, but he was trying to look really, really hardcore, which is really smart to do when you're youth ministers, when you're, you know, friends on Twitter. <laughs> but, um, but it was clear that he was trying to create an image of, I'm a wild man. And in reality, like, no, you're actually a mama's boy, and that's really great, and I celebrate that. Um, on the girls, and I'll let Sarah speak to this more, the image branding through pictures is super, super intense. And hey, by the way, as we're going through all this, we all know that we're guilty of this too, right? I, I, had, I used to have as my like about on Facebook, um, like, uh, live in Birmingham with a great job, with the most wonderful wife in the world, and the cutest baby boy. And, I, and then like after that being up for about nine months, I read it, and I was like, I hate people like you. I hate the people who send out the letter that talks about how everything is so wonderful in their Christmas letter. I'm like, oh, you're, I know you. Your, your life is not that wonderful. <laughs> anyhow, and I, I like changed it. Um, but anyhow, so Sarah, you go. Okay, well, on the, I, I think that you covered the basic categories, but as far as more specifically, you're talking about um, the boy who, you know, who's And sometimes they're even called that, so maybe you've heard of them. They, they exist, and they go to these parties, and they've told this, they know. They go to these parties just for the explicit purpose of taking pictures. So whereas maybe I graduated from high school almost six years ago, and I'm like, oh, okay. I went to a party, and I would say it was a good party if I had a good conversation. Maybe I sat next to somebody fun at dinner. And they go to this, the party, and they don't really talk. They go, they take the picture, and it's accessible. <coughs> they get 200 likes on Instagram, or whatever it is, you know, um, on Instagram. And so they're not really talking, they're not connecting, and they know it. But it's all about this image that they're creating, and the pic, and the, how they filter the picture. And I've heard them they'll say, "You are not allowed to post that unless you change what's in my teeth on that. You need to whiten that first. And yet. On all of this, even that is done via a text afterwards. Because I'm on a group message, you know. <laughs> I mean, anyway, so they don't really talk. I see that a lot. 
Um, and so they're avoiding, they don't actually they have these friendships that even when they sit next to each other in class are purely based on, it's not a face-to-face -face thing, it's purely based on we're texting and we're sitting next to each other in class. We're at this party and we're taking pictures of ourselves. I'm Snapchatting you from across the room. I watch them do it. I mean, they Snapchat each other in the same room and they're not actually talking. Um, and that, so that changes the way that they interact with people all the time. The eye contact that I get, I feel like the more technology dependent they are, the less they will make eye contact with me. Um, the more that they turn to their phones whenever they feel uncomfortable. Um, and so that means in Bible study, when we have something really serious, I see them pull out their phone because they'd rather escape and think of something else than really engage with what's happening. Or if somebody's sharing and they feel uncomfortable, they pull out their phone. Um, rather than just kind of having to face reality of discomfort and vulnerability. Um, and what scares me, that Karen and I read this article not too long ago about how in Japan um, that young people they're finding are staying single for longer and longer. And they estimate that I think it was like a quarter of um, people between the age of 20 and 30 in Japan now will never enter into a romantic relationship ever because they aren't learning how to connect with people face to face. And so they find that they are repulsed by physical contact because they haven't had to do it. And so everything they do is online. I'm not saying that's for because I know I'm now I'm like a lot, a lot of that's because of incessant pornography addiction, too. But I'm saying that I see that, that, that the social skills for the face-to-face -face are definitely evolving. And there are other things that are, I mean, that are good, too. But I also see that the checking out, so they check out when they feel comfortable socially, but also that means I see it a lot with girls, I hear from them, that also they feel uncomfortable at their age when it comes to, like, romantic things, like romantic relationships. Mm. And so... For a guy, they feel uncomfortable asking a girl out. So instead of doing it on the phone, or dare I say face to face, they do it via Snapchat, which disappears if you're familiar with Snapchat. So you ask a girl, do you want to get dinner? And it disappears in five seconds, so there's no proof. You tell a, or a girl, you can like, Snapchat a guy back, and she can deny it later. So it just is a twisted form of, I've talked to girls from here and other places, but they'll have this relationship that then they tell their friends about, and there's zero evidence mm -hmm. that it ever happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of a couple of things. One is, you know, and, and she, uh, Sherry Turkle uh, Lord alludes to it in the TED's video, but basically the kids... For, you know, to have an intimate friendship, to have an intimate relationship, to have a good marriage, you know, there are certain ingredients to that. There is commitment. There is vulnerability. There is risk. Um, and, you know, there is discomfort. And so a lot of what they are getting the false idea of is that I can have relationship without all of the ingredients without the without the the, the the difficult things. And consequently, we know there's no intimacy. There's no intimacy in a relationship that's not vulnerable and doesn't have commitment and and where there's, you know, not some some risk. And so a lot of the kids are just very 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 lonely. Very lonely. Um, second thing is 
I, I just feel like a lot of what goes on in the social world is very comparable to pornography in the sense that it's a fake relationship. Like the person that you're looking at in the image or in the video, that, you, that, is, not a, that is not real. That is not a real person. They are not responding to you. And also it's, it's a lot of what we see with the way that women are portrayed in media, and especially like on the front of women's magazines and different things like that, and they're all airbrushed. You know, that, that's, not a, that's not really how a woman looks. That is not, you know, that is, that is after lots of computer enhancement. Um, and so they have this kind of, young girls have this image of, a false image of what a woman really looks like and what they should measure up to. Well, it's the same thing with what's being presented um, with their personal brands online. Like, wow, she is always having fun. Look at her Instagram pictures. Like, wow, like they are always at parties and I am always left out. And and it's like, no, it's not real. They're just put, you know, everyone's kind of putting their, no one's putting the, you know, the, the picture where they look fat or where their hair looks bad or they have stuff in their teeth online, right? We're only putting our best foot forward. It's like a resume. Uh, I'm re on my resume, I'm really disorganized. Like I'm actually really insecure in front of people. That's not on your resume. And so it's a similar kind of deal of people setting up or of kids having a false expectation of what they're meant to be. So um, so moving, moving along, some of the bad lessons taught by social media. Um, one, artificial empty relationships satisfy. Or you know, I, I kind of what I said. Intimacy without the ingredients, without the tough stuff. You can have it. You can have your cake and eat it too. It's just not. It's just not true. Um, a second thing: there are no consequences. You know, uh, the the rate of bullying. It really. It actually really has gone up a great deal. Forty-nine percent of kids say they've been bullied online. Um, sorry, fifty-one percent say they've been bullied online. Forty-nine percent say they've been bullied, but they haven't. They haven't told an adult. 93% um, of kids say that they have seen abusive, uh, ab abusive behavior towards another person online. Um, so of course, you know, when I, when we were kids, if you said something mean to somebody, then they would cry or they'd punch you in the face. You could see the consequence of what you're doing. But behind the devices and behind the computer screen, you know, I can say so and so is a whore, or like you this that and the other, and. You don't see, you don't see the like tears well up and you don't see the like the hurt in somebody or the video games, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I played uh, five hours of, uh, what's the, oh, I, my mind is blanking, but you know, all these military games, Black Ops or Call of Duty, and I've, I've shot a thousand people, you know, like, you don't see real consequence. And so a lot of um, a lot of what the the technology teaches is that there's not consequence for your action. You don't actually really hurt people. You're desensitized to it, and I think that's why there's kids are just so mean these days. They're so much meaner than when I was growing up. I mean, I, I, we are we are. Would, would you agree with me in that? Oh, I people I have always been sinful, but we are seeing the manifestation of it like much more egregiously. Because they're disconnected, and I wanted to add to that, but also about the picture taking. Because of the parties, like I can remember growing up, and it was my mother always. It's so rude. You cannot tell what party you're invited. You, know, you don't talk about it. You right. just go to the party. Mm -hmm. And now they're disconnected. They think, well, I just come up to her and say, are you going to such and such party? But then you posted a picture for everyone to see of who was invited, and it's very clear who's not. And so it's very clear to them, if you're the one who's out, you know that you're going to 
is obvious to you. It's like, so when they go online, it's like, look at a list of things that I wasn't invited to. As opposed to before, you just didn't know. And it was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, third, uh, God complex. Basically, what is so enticing about phones and technology is this idea that I can have what I want when I want it, and I can satisfy myself through my own control. So, like, think about this. When I was a kid, a v- the VCR was invented when I was like in kindergarten. And so if you wanted to see a movie, before, you know, before that, if I wanted to see a movie, I had to wait for grandma or mom and dad to take me to the theater. Then the VCR is made, and if I want to see a movie, I have, to, I have to get mom or dad to take me to the movie store to get a VHS. Um, you know, if I want to watch sports, okay, there's the CBS game uh, on Saturday, and there might be a couple ESPN games. Now it's like I can have it all. I can watch every sporting event. Like I can get any video on my phone. Not even on the TV, I can get it on my phone. I can watch Netflix on my free period at school. Holy cow. Um, you know, friends, like if I want to have a friend over, uh, you know, I have to, or if I want to talk to a friend, I pick up the phone. I have to wait my turn as far as my brothers and my sisters on the landline. I call my friend. You know, now kids will sit there and they will text, you know, a dozen people until they get someone to respond. And so there's this idea of like, I can satisfy myself, which we'll talk about this more later, but satisfaction, like contentment, it comes A, in Jesus, but it comes by faith. It doesn't come, it doesn't come by being the master of your own ship. It comes by Christ being the master of your ship and depending on the Lord's grace, the Lord to, to, to give you things. It comes through receiving. And so, um, so this false sense of control and empowerment is, is, is kind of reinforced through all the technology. By the way, the technology isn't all bad. I mean, I was telling this earlier this morning, I have a friend who has cancer. Um, he's just going to start treatment next week. I'm not going to be able to call him or, you know, I'm not going to be able to, well, I could, but, you know, he's in the hospital. I can't write him letters, but I can send him a, I can text him a Bible verse every day. I mean, when, when Cam died, I got tons and tons of encouraging text, and I was super grateful for it. So it's not all, a, it's not all bad, right? Um, anyhow, that's worth saying. Um, comparison shopping. Uh, when you know when I, a, a false idea, I talked about this earlier. I look at other people; they look like they have it all together. I don't. And then hide and seek. Like I can hide from reality. That's another kind of bad lesson. I can hide. I can run away. I can just dive in here, dive in here, and make it all go away. And so these are just kind of some of the you know our kids. Our kids are at a formative age. Their belief system is being cultivated. And so these are just kind of some of the messages that are being sent via the technology. And so what we want to look at is what is at the heart. Like what are kids really seeking uh, when they, um, what are they really seeking when they're kind of compulsively using this technology? And how is it that the gospel, how is it that Jesus counters this? Because you really, why are we here? We're here because we want our children to be satisfied. We want our children to have the most abundant, content, fruitful life possible with the least regret. That's why that's why that's why you know we're here. That's why I mean that's that's kind of our ultimate hope for our kids. And so um, and so you know if ultimate ultimate contentment and satisfaction is found in intimate dependent relationship on Christ. It's found in Jesus himself. 
And so as we go through this, one of the, one of the things to say is that we, we really want to engage our kids on like asking them lots of questions. Like, so why are you doing it? Why are you so concerned about this picture that went up? Like, why is it that you freak out when you don't have your phone? You know, why, why, is, it, um, why is it that you demand to have Snapchat? Why is that so important? Um, and we want to be able to speak truth to them. Because, you know, I, like I said, their belief systems are, are being formed. And we, we don't just, we don't want the media and the technology to be the only message. We want the gospel to be the message that counters it. And so the first thing that we see at the heart of a lot of this is kids really, really want to be known and seen. We all of us do. We all want to be noticed. We want to be affirmed. We, 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 want, we want to be seen inside out. Um, and so that, that is part of all the attention-seeking through posting pictures and, you know, we, oh, goodness gracious. You know, there's, okay, I don't need to stop your condescending tone. Let's get back. Okay. I, you know, I'll, there, I can think of a couple of kids who, you know, their kind of identity was they were, um, they wanted to adopt some kind of radical political position uh, that was very, you know, contrarian. And they would just be so loud all the time on Facebook with like the articles they would post or the statements they would make and just very inflammatory. It's like, what's behind all this, you know? Like, do you really believe this? Or is this just, you just really want to be noticed? And your way to be noticed is to post, you know, extreme things, extreme political and social commentary on Facebook. Um, and so, so that's, I mean, I think that's one of the, the primary things is to be known, noticed, and seen. And we just really want to remind kids, like, first off, that you as a parent, like, I see you, like, I notice you, but like, the Lord sees you perfectly. He's omniscient, this number of hairs on your head. Um, you are seen by God. Uh, and and no, no matter how many people like your picture, and no matter how many people like the comment that you made or whatnot, by the way, I mean, scorekeeping, like quantitative scorekeeping with the kids is, is huge. Like, I want to, I'm always checking how many people like what they've put up or commented on what they've put up. And it's like, no matter how many people like it or comment on it, it's not going to satisfy you. Like, no one is going to see you perfectly, but the Lord does see you perfectly. And that need is satisfied in the way that Jesus sees you. Do you have something to add to that? I think that that's the, that's the positive note on all this for me is that I see that because this um, this need for intimacy and to feel connected and feel loved is like so present and so not filled by their friendship right now that, mm-hmm. that their thirst for the gospel and for this, that good news is pretty intense and so that has been a really powerful thing to see that they hunger for it in a way that I don't feel like I ever saw kids when I was in high school, because they're so lonely mm-hmm. um, and so needy. And I think that that's an opportunity, but that being said, that um, we still hope for them to have relationships with other Christians and with other people. And, you know. mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that, you spoke a lot to the second thing here, like to feel connected. Everyone wants to feel connected. I mean, God... Why is God, he's one God, but he's three persons. Why is there a trinity? It speaks to the relational nature, um, the relational nature of life, the life that he has designed and made. Um, 
you know, why is it, it talks about how we are one with Christ. Like when, when a person becomes a believer, they're sealed by the Holy Spirit, they become one with Jesus. And your existence in heaven is living in the absence of the sinful world, but you are experiencing your oneness, your union with Christ, and that's euphoria. And so um, they really, it's human to want to be connected. You know, Adam, when God said it's not good for man to be alone and he made Eve for Adam, people see that as just like a marriage statement. It's not. It's, it's just a human statement. It's about people who are made to live in a relationship. And, um, and so that is something to kind of address because like, what? you're texting all the time. I know that, you know, why do you think that? Well, you, you know, you really want to feel connected. And they'll say that. They're like, I feel, I feel connected through my media. I feel like I think 80% of kids said they feel more connected because of their Facebook. But we all know that it's not a satisfying connection. It's not a real connection. And so the truth to speak to them is, A, like, it, you, are, you are one with God through Christ. And, and B, like, the, the kind of connection that will satisfy you is face-to-face real, committed, uh, vulnerable, risky relationship. Um, and that's what I, I know a lot of them sleep with the phone or the pillow, and I've been really thinking about this a lot, about what is it about the fact that when you're oh. night, you have your phone your And I think it's because if you're 16, 15, 14, whatever, that probably one of the few times that you are absolutely alone with you go to bed and so I think even then, that you have the option to be to feel connected somehow in a really small way. Um, that's that's got to be what it is. I think. I mean, they don't want to miss out on things, but how many things are really happening? If you're in the yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's the you're still you're not by yourself. I'm still not alone. See this new movie that's come out. Uh, is it? Is it she? Her? It's her. It's about Joaquin Phoenix and he ha- how he has a romantic relationship with uh, a device. It's a, but I think it's a really powerful. Have you seen it? No, I just think it's weird. But it's, but it, I mean, it's clearly a social commentary. I'm totally gonna go see it. Um, probably on work time because it is, it is, it is. I'm being serious. I'm inviting other youth ministers to go because it's, a, it's a social commentary about how extreme this is. It really, I mean, doesn't that sound ridiculous? You can have a romantic relationship with your phone. That is the most absurd thing you've ever heard, right? But hey, I mean, let's observe our behavior. That's what we think. That's what we communicate by our behavior is the belief that I can I can be satisfied through a virtual you know virtual life. Um, it's silly, but it's but it's us, you know. So so anyhow, um, uh, edit that Charles Gaston. Joe Gibbs, don't hear that. No, just kidding. Joe Gibbs would be totally on board with me going to see that. Um, okay. Um, all right, next. Huge, huge, huge. This one is to have a lovable, acceptable identity. That is so much of what they're gunning for. Listen, this is, the, the theological speak for that is to be righteous. Okay? What, it, what, what, is, what is, in terms of substance, what is happening when a person is born again, when they come into relationship with Jesus, is Jesus lives perfectly, right? He lives perfectly on our behalf. Jesus doesn't just die on the cross. He lives perfectly all the way up to his death so that we can inherit his status as being perfect, as being righteous. Okay, so when a person becomes a believer, the reason they can be in relationship with God, the reason they have no fear in death, is because they have the righteousness of Jesus imputed into them. They have a status as perfect. So you go from being a sinner, when you're, and then when you're in Christ, where, where you're rejectable, like God, God rejects sin. But when you become a believer, you become righteous. You're perfectly acceptable. 
And so there's no, that's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because all the things that could lead to you being rejected by God have all been absorbed by Jesus on the cross. So you've like traded statuses with Jesus. Jesus took your status on the cross, and you inherited Jesus' status of being perfectly acceptable. And so that's really, I mean, we're all, that's really so much of all of our behavior. That's why we want to be successful. That's what's driving impressive resumes and academic degrees and, and, and different things that speak to status, is we want to be righteous. And so with all of the, you know, <laughs> with all the perfect pictures and looking at, you know, being at the party and looking like I have it all together, what kids want people to think is this is a person who is worthy of relationship. This is a person who is likable, that I would want to be friends with, that I would want to date. Um, and so, and so, you know, that, that is just like the straight gospel of like, hey, look, you don't have to do that. You know, like you, because you've been made in the image of God, every person is worthy of friendship because they've been made in the image of God. And then in terms of like, you know, being accepted by the Lord, you know, through Christ, you've been acceptable to, been made acceptable to the Lord. And so you don't, you don't really have to worry so much about looking perfect online. Like Christ has made you perfect. He has made you completely acceptable to God. And so that is, I think that is a, that's, that's right at the core. Do you have anything to add to that? Get Cameron Cole talking about imputed righteousness. It's gonna, it's gonna get fired up. Things are gonna happen. Um, okay. All right. Another thing at the heart level. Do you have an acceptable? Oh, okay. Um, to escape from the harsh fallen world. Okay. Like we, uh, in our sober moments, all recognize that this is a very, very difficult place to live. It is a fallen world. There is so much pain. There is so much brokenness. And I think any of us kind of in our desperate moments would say, like, I would rather be in heaven. I mean, that's what Paul, that's all of what Paul is talking about in Romans 8 is this groaning for glory. This, you know, just groaning to, to, for everything to be made right again. And, um, and so, and that's a healthy thing. That's what that really is. That's a godly thing that's operating in reality, knowing that Jesus will come back and perfect the world, knowing that um, there is a home, is a purifying thing to look forward to your life and glory. Um, and we, something we can also say is, hey, look, like Jesus has overcome the world. I mean, Jesus says in John 14, uh, you will have in this life, you will have trial and tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And because Christ has overcome the world, we don't have to run away from reality. I mean, certainly, we all know, T.S. Eliot said this, and he was right, one can only handle so much reality, you know? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch a little bit of a movie or read a little bit of a book or... Uh, you know, check up on some football recruiting every night because I just just need a little, you know, just need a little escape from reality. That's not bad. That's a totally fine thing. It's a glimpse of glory. Um, but you know, football recruiting is a glimpse of glory. When things are going right, it sure is. Um, anyhow, but we don't have to completely retreat to fantasy land. We can face reality because Christ has won. He has conquered the world. And so that enables us to not have to constantly be trying to escape. Do you have anything to add on that? I just think the level of the number of things, options for escape have increased. Instead mm-hmm. When you would have gotten tired of reading or you can't go to the movies again or you can't, you're not going to watch television at 10 in the morning when everyone is asleep or whatever. It's like, 
there's 5,000 options that just delay, delay, delay the point at which you feel uncomfortable. Or as Karen said, those desperate moments when you groan for, um, groan to be with the Lord, groan for His presence. If you you can delay, 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 delay the point at which you feel that, and so that's I think part of the because I don't want to feel comfortable. And I don't blame them. I don't either. You know, like. I want to, if I start to feel uncomfortable, I want to watch a movie on Netflix too. But um, when somebody starts to share with me something that makes me feel sad or, you know, I want to forget about it too. But I think that, um, unfortunately, especially as they get into adulthood, sometimes it'll just hit you like a freight train. You know, you can't delay, delay, delay forever. Yeah, good stuff. All right, the fifth one, I'm going to skip that. Um, uh, I just want to, I want to, before we get into practical applications, I want to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And just to kind of see how relevant, um, how relevant scripture is in talking about this issue. Um, okay, in the beginning, sorry, yeah, if you have your, you can open up your Bible. If not, I'm just going to kind of read through it and stop at points, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Sorry, John chapter 1, beginning of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing nothing was made that has been made. All right, so starting off, like Jesus is the full expression of God. Like when we see Jesus, that is that is God. And um, and so with that being said, and he's he's the designer of life. He is he has made all things. And so when we see how God comes out of heaven into the earth as a person in the flesh uh, that says and lives in relationship with people that says a lot about how we're meant to live like god could stay up in heaven um he could be this hidden god that we don't really know anything about but like he chose to reveal himself he chose to come out from behind the screen come out from behind the veil and actually be in real relationship in the flesh like when, like in heaven, uh, it's going to be a little different in heaven, but in the, in the glorified world, like when Jesus returns and makes the world perfect and the existence of heaven comes to earth, we will live in physical bodies. They'll be redeemed bodies. They're, I, I, don't, I don't think this will be here in the glorified earth, but, but, um, but we, it'll be a physical reality. And so that tells us that a life that is completely virtual is not in line with the way God made things. Uh, God himself is not virtual. He was a person in the flesh in Jesus, and he will be with us. I think Jesus will be in the flesh in the glorified earth. So he's in, he's in a body in heaven. So so we need that's something to recognize. Um, something to recognize. In, in verse four, in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. Uh, that's just a simple reminder that life flows from the Lord. Uh, we were we will never never be satisfied in things in the world. Some of these things are a really nice gift, and we can enjoy that. And um, what is really going to satisfy is Jesus, living in intimate, dependent relationship with Jesus. That is what is going to satisfy your child. And that is the, you know, that is, that is the thing to kind of always bring them back to. Um, then, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm going to skip verses 6, 7, and 8, and I'm going to go to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came 
that which was his own, but his own, oh, sorry. He, he, came, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. And that just speaks to like life comes by receiving. It does not come through control. Um, that is constantly Jesus' message in the Gospels, is that the person who is trying to find their life through their own power, through their own means, on their own terms, will not find life. The person who admits, uh, who uh, releases control, who depends on God for life, that is the person who will find it. That, comp- that, that, like I said at the beginning, very much flies in the face of what the media culture, what the technology culture promises. And that is, you can have life on your terms when you want it through your control. That is, that is the, that's the big lie. Um, and then finally, no, that's good there. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Again, the word became flesh. He became a person. Um, so anyhow, just a little kind of scriptural reinforcement for what we've already been saying. Um, okay, I... Tell you what, um, uh, da, 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 da. if you need to leave at 10:30, I will not be offended at all. If you when you get up and walk out, um, I'm going to go through these practical considerations. And uh, would you mind chiming in? They, they're Katie, Katie's family. They've kind of gotten sick and tired of being sick and tired. So they've they've taken pretty pretty you know intentional measures to kind of fight against this. And so. Um, I just think it's helpful to hear like other to hear what other people are doing, and 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 you know, and I'll I'll um, as when I finish this, we can all kind of chime in if you have questions or you know things that you're doing, things that you have done that you find are working, resistance you're getting from your kids. We can have a conversation after this. But um, help your child. The first practical consideration: help your child learn how to be introspective and self-examining. I would encourage you, and th- and this is what like I said at the beginning. You have to teach your child how to engage the world. You can't just hide from it. And so that comes by constantly asking them questions like, why are you so upset that those people posted that picture? Like, why are you so upset that I won't let you have this? Why do you want Snapchat so badly? Um, And just constantly ask them why so that they become a lot more aware, so so they learn how to do that for themselves. You know, like, why is it that when I... I, can, I told the story earlier. One time I, I like had been criticized, and so I came home, and I was just like in my computer all night. I was in my computer for like two or three hours, completely ignoring my wife. And what was I doing? I was looking over Alabama's like commitment list and recruiting and watching all the commits videos. It's like, huh, like you are in a fantasy, weird way trying to glean some sense of like success based on the kids who decided to go to college and play football for the team that you like. But there was clearly, you know, there, I was able to kind of say, like, why, why, why am I entering into this incessant, like, kind of excessive behavior here? And, and so we want to train our kids to be, to, to be introspective, to be self-aware and asking these same questions, like, hmm, why am I so upset about this? Um, and, so, and so that they know how to speak truth to themselves. Um, teach your child how to establish healthy boundaries by establishing healthy boundaries for them. Um, you... Um, yeah, I, you, I, I, we have to have boundaries for ourselves. I, I mean, my wife and I now, 
uh, I have to put my computer in the bag at 8.45. Otherwise, it's just too tempting to be like, oh, I forgot to do that little project, or oh, I need to send that email, or oh, I just really want to write this article, or whatever it may be. And, I, and I'll find myself inevitably on the computer doing work at 10 o'clock at night. That's not healthy. That's a bad practice. So we have to have a boundary where I have to put my computer in my computer bag and put it in the car. 8.45. It was 9 o'clock last night. Praise the Lord. But anyhow, progress. Um, I, I am so into reading on the internet. Um, I am so into like reading about sports and whatnot. That's why I have a flip phone. That's why I'm not getting a smartphone until I have to. I'll probably be buying you know, flip phones from Liberia or, <laughs> or Sudan or something in a few years. But for now, I need that boundary. I need that boundary. Um, and so you, you need to create boundaries for kids. You know your kids, and I don't care one bit how much they complain. I don't care if they say, we have one, but my parents are blah, 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 blah. Just, just tell them to stick it. Tell them Cameron told you to tell you to stick it. Anyhow, um, all right. Secondly, uh, speak to the heart level issue. Don't just address the behavior. That's kind of, we talked about that nonstop. <laughs> but I encourage you really to do that. Um, it's not just put it away. It's why are we doing this? What are we hoping to accomplish here? Speak truth. Um, strongly monitor, strongly consider monitoring your child's technology use. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, they're, 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 they don't have any rights until they're 19. Um, you are completely empowered and encouraged to have a, some kind of tracking device on their technology. Covenant Eyes, great product. It'll send you a report of everything they're accessing with a rating on what's really, really bad and what's not so bad. Um, and Covenant Eyes. You can also get filters through Covenant Eyes where if they access something inappropriate, it will turn off their phone. And it's really annoying. <laughs> and, and it tends to really be effective. But um, not to, you know, not to, I, I, not to you know, be over the top, but it's like, especially for a boy, if they have a smartphone with the internet and no kind of, no kind of reporting device and no kind of filter, they're walking around with a stack of pornography in their pocket all the time. And no teenage boy, no man can handle that. Okay, so so that's just you don't need to feel bad about you're not the NSA or the CIA. You're not you know no negative connotations. You're the parent. You know that you know that they look their brain is not developed to a point where they can process consequence. And not until they're older can they really understand the danger and the consequence involved with their action. If you see someone standing at the edge of if you're standing at the edge of a cliff our heart is racing. Like, we're scared. Physiologically, that's not happening for them. They're especially the boys. They stand at the edge of a cliff, and not, they're not feeling any anxiety. That's just because their brain is not developed to that point yet. And so knowing that, you're protecting them from themselves by having monitoring stuff and filters. Um, and then, well, like sometimes yeah. I feel like when I'm watching them, they're like toddlers with power tools. Yeah. And, and it really, and I think that, and one interesting thing just as a note, I hear a lot from them, and I feel like they're honest with me. I have never heard them actually say that they were mad about their parents monitoring them, which is really interesting, I think. That they've never, mm -hmm. They'll tell me that it's happening, they'll tell me that their mom took their phone, but they never really complain. They complain when they're grounded, but they don't complain about the like, oh, my mom looks at my records, or oh, I have to turn in my phone at nine. I've heard that from people. Usually, honestly, I feel like they like to be told, they feel like they know they need to be told to do it. In the same way that every retreat that I've been on with us, 
that where we take their phone, they complain like literally you're chopping off their left arm. Mm -hmm. And then they take you. So they kids feel loved by boundaries. They resist it, but they feel loved by boundaries, and they respect their parents for that too. That's not to say that if you don't have them now that they don't respect you and they don't feel loved or anything like that. Don't feel guilty. Um, but that's just to say, to encourage you, like if you, when you put in boundaries and uh, you know, that, that, that your child honestly deep down inside, they feel, they feel loved by it. So, so last thing to say here, God is not surprised by technology. You know, it's not like, it's not like uh, you know, this is an issue that's out of control, that's, that's beyond the hand and the sovereignty of God. So we don't need to just totally freak out. Like Christ is still one, God is still in control and sovereign. Um, and and you know there are incredible movements of Christianity throughout the world right now that are being proliferated because of the technology. Um, and so so yeah so I, you know the last word is uh, you know in this life you'll have trial and tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world. So you know. I just say that because when we finish things like this, it, it a lot of times is a freak-out fest. And, um, and you know, God is still God, and he is, he's ahead of the technology. <laughs> and, and, and he's good, and he's in control. So you can take, take comfort in that. Let me, let me pray for us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, pray that you'd comfort our hearts. I pray you'd give us wisdom. I pray you'd give us strength. And, Lord, all of us, in the ways that we make an idol of uh, of technology, I pray, God, that you would help us to repent. Uh, I, pray, I pray that you would help us to admit our weakness to you, that they, we, they really are so enticing. And help us, Lord, to find our rest in you and, and to guide our children in that, too. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.